The Lord is with you. Lift up your hearts. It is good to be together with God and with one another on this Lord's Day. Here together in the chancel at Marsh Chapel, 735 Commonwealth Avenue on the banks of the Charles River. Present also in New England through WBUR, National Public Radio, 90.9 FM. And present also throughout the world through webcast and podcast through our website, www.bu.edu forward slash chapel. We are particularly pleased to welcome once again the Reverend Michael McKee, Senior Minister at First United Methodist Church in Hearst, Texas. Um, we have been very much enjoying his company for the last two weeks. And as he leaves us uh, today, we wish him and Joan traveling mercies as they travel back to what we now know to call the Fort Worth, Dallas area. And a particular greeting to our brothers and sisters at First Hearst for the new friendships that we have formed uh, with them through Reverend McKee's time with us. Together today, we celebrate the gifts of life, faith, and love. The Marsh Chapel Choir, under the direction of Scott Allen Jarrett, and today conducted by Justin Blackwell. The Marsh Chapel Congregation at Boston University, and Dean Robert Allen Hill, who is with us in spirit as he is on vacation. We all invite you to your support, prayerful and material. We invite your presence, actual and virtual, as today we celebrate the gift of being together with God and with one another. And now, dearly beloved, rise up, now and throughout this service, in body as you are able and certainly in heart, in the love and worship of God. Him is number 139.
O Lord, mercifully receive the prayers of your people who call upon you and grant that they may know and understand what things they ought to do and also may have grace and power faithfully to accomplish them through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. God invites us to a period of silent confession during the singing of the Kyrie. Please be seated. Beloved, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let us all say, thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. A lesson from Paul's epistle to the church in Rome, chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and to deal with sin, he condemned sin in the flesh so that the just requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. To set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For this reason, the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh, you are in the Spirit, since the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life, because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies also through his spirit that dwells in you. The word of the Lord. 
Let us say together verses from Psalm 119 with the choral response. is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I have sworn an oath and confirmed it to observe your righteous ordinances. I am severely afflicted. Give me life, O Lord, according to your word. Accept my offerings of praise, O Lord, and teach me your ordinances. I hold my life in my hand continually, but I do not forget your law. The wicked have laid a snare for me, but I do not stray from your precepts. Your decrees are my heritage forever. They are the joy of my heart. I incline my heart to perform your statutes forever to the end. Lord, make me to Now, beloved, please rise as you are able for the singing of the Gloria Patri and the reading of the Gospel. standing for the reading of the gospel of our Lord and Savior according to St. Matthew. The holy gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. Matthew. Glory to you, O Lord. The same day Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. Such great crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat there while the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables saying, listen, a sower went out to sow. And he sowed some seeds fell on the path, and the birds came and ate them up. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and they sprang up quickly, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and brought forth grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Let anyone with ears listen. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what is sown in the heart. And this is what was sown on the path. And for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. And yet such a person has no root. 
but endures only for a while. And when trouble or persecution arises on account of the word, that person immediately falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word. But the cares of the world and the lure of wealth choke the word, and it yields nothing. But as for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. We remain standing for the hymn. be seated. I want to thank uh, the congregation of Marsh Chapel and especially Ray Bouchard and Reverend Victoria Hart Gaskell who've been so very helpful uh, to me and to Joan this uh, past week. We've enjoyed our stay in Boston so very much. We love New England and thank you for allowing us to be with you for uh, last Sunday and this Sunday and I appreciate of course uh, Bob Hill, my good and dear friend who uh, invited me to come and be with you for these two Sundays. Uh, earlier, Victoria shared with you about uh, a friendship uh, the, that we have uh, now with the Hearst Congregation. Um, let me share with you that you have a friendship you perhaps may not know of uh, in the Hearst Congregation. Our organist and artist in residence uh, at one time was the associate organist at Marsh Chapel. Uh, he was here for one year. His name was Dong Il Shen. 
and uh, he was here for one year as he was in Boston for two years, and he now has been with our congregation for four years, but uh, this summer he is not with us because he is um, in doing organ concerts in, uh, in Europe at this time, having been the most recent prize winner of the organ of the organ competition at Chartres in France two years ago this past September. And so Dong Il wanted me to share with you his greetings. Uh, some of you may remember him, some of you may not. And I was sharing with a couple of people last week and um, they shared with me that when Dong Il was here that uh, he came from France having been a native of Korea, speaking only Korean and French. And I would say to you now that his English is very good and uh, he is able to, and he sends uh, warm greetings to all of you. And, uh, I wanted you to know that. Will you pray with me? Oh Lord, in the silence of this moment, prepare our hearts and our minds to hear your word for us this day. Work your will in our lives. Amen. If someone would ask you what the word parable means, inevitably one of the ways in which we sometimes define the word is to speak of it as an allegory. But that would really miss the point of what a parable is. Loosely translated, the word parable means to throw alongside. That is to share a story that throws alongside the listener something that the listener has to move in order to understand. If you could imagine someone throwing a ball at you and then not throwing it at you directly, but throwing it to the side of you so that you had, it, had to move to catch it, then that is the point of the parable, to somehow tell a story so that you have to move out of your understandings of what is happening in the world or what is happening around you to be able to understand the new truth that the storyteller wishes to share. And such is the way in which Jesus sought to uh, share parables, how it is that he wanted people to have to move outside of the way they conventionally thought about God or about religion or about other, others so that they could hear something true and hear something that was entirely new. We know parables and begin to think about some of the familiar parables that you know inevitably. The ones that you would mention are uh, the parable of uh, of the prodigal son or of the loving father, the parable of, uh, of the good Samaritan. The parable of the sower is an equally well-known parable, but it may really be misnamed and it perhaps could better be described as the parable of the soils, for it seems that uh, the meaning of the story that Jesus told had as much to do with the soil as it had to do with the sower. Uh, the story, which Jesus as a teller, always opens us up to a new way of being and a new way of thinking and a new way of acting. A story in the hands of Jesus is a story that seeks to move into the core of our souls and our spirits to change us. But if you begin to think about if Jesus were alive today and sharing a story, a real-life story, then he perhaps would not choose um, a story that has a sower and some seed and some soil. He may be thinking about it in a different kind of way and someone who was going to make an important purchase or someone who was seeking to decide upon what exactly they would invest in and what would pay the greatest returns or the greatest dividends. 
but the genius of Jesus was always to tell a story that, um, in which one could see the sacred in ordinary life. You notice the differences, how it is that Jesus is always listening and responding to life uh, in such a way that he sees the sacred in what's happening. What a contrast to those who, who listened to the scripture and then developed this collective rules and regulation out of which they lived. Have you ever had someone um, use the Bible in such a way with you that they proof-texted a certain belief or a certain idea to justify exactly where they were in terms of their understanding of God, rather than listening to life as Jesus did. When we don't listen to life and the way in which the sacred then becomes life and how it is informed by the scriptural text, then the danger is, is that we begin to miss the ongoing revelation of God that is still continuing. As it is said by one faithful Christian tradition, God is still speaking. Lest we think that anything else is true, then we miss the beauty of God's ongoing truth and revelation. Now, how does the parable of the sower speak to you? How does this parable speak to you at all? Is it possible that um, what is happening is that in the midst of the hearing of the story that our visions and our understandings are being challenged with a different kind of truth? Last spring, Joan and I made the decision that we would re-landscape our yard, and uh, we would do it for a number of reasons. One is, is that uh, some of the plant materials had died, and, uh, and the, another reason is because we wanted to use plant materials living in Texas that would, um, would be conducive to the heat that happens in Texas. Uh, we also wanted plant materials that would uh, thrive in a climate that receives little or no rain at times. That's been the case for us this spring and this summer. And we wanted plants that also would uh, thrive under an occasional freeze that absolutely happens sometimes where we live in Texas. So we wanted plants that were adaptable to our climate if they were not native. And so we had everything ripped out, what little was left, and we, plant, we had new soil brought in, and we had new plants put in, and we were delighted about what had happened, and we spent a great deal of time watching things as they, as they were planted. Well, one of the things that happened was is that shortly after all of the planting had been placed in, and one particular tree which we dearly loved that we had had planted in a previous place in which we lived, we noticed that it wasn't quite right, that it was, that the leaves were turning brown. And we thought that was somewhat surprising, and so we did the normal thing that you do in Texas. When things begin to turn brown, you add water to it. And so we began to water that tree a little bit more than what the other plants were being watered. We noticed the tree continued to turn brown. It was most distressing. We noticed also as we stepped out into our backyard on one particular day that the ground, the grass was rather mushy. It was like you could sink a, an inch or two. And so we, we knew we had a problem. We thought we had a leak. We didn't have a leak. 
Then we began to think, what is it that really is going on here? And we realized that our neighbor in back of us was watering with vengeance. He had a little plot of ground. He would water it for 30 minutes every day. And so we realized that what was happening to this beloved tree was that it was not that it was not getting enough water, but it was getting too much. So we had this conversation with our neighbor. He agreed to sort of cut back on his watering. In fact, he agreed to quit watering at all, except just briefly. And then he discovered, we discovered that then when he watered, that he had this enormous leak in his irrigation system. And we were literally standing, had our backyard standing in water in places. Well, we've lost that tree, which is not our fault and really not our neighbor's fault, but it is a way in how it is that we remember that somehow when you begin to plant, it's always a gamble always a gamble. The idea that somehow that, uh, that you can throw seed on rocky soil even in the midst of this, well, that's an absurd idea. But it's a truth that the reign of God is coming. Now, let me suggest to you something that would be helpful to us in understanding the parable, three ideas. The first is that how God comes to us is a mystery. In my ministry, I have always continually been surprised and amazed about how it is that God speaks, how it is that God comes to us, and when God does come to us. A number of years ago, it was in March of a particular year, uh, two friends of mine and I, we traveled to Thailand. We traveled to Thailand because we wanted to see the country, and we went to the north, we went to Chiang Mai, Thailand, and on one particular day, we set out on a trek that had been arranged for us by the small hotel in which we were staying. There were the three of us and four other people. There were two couples from Belgium who were with us, and they, we took this long, long drive, it seemed, to Chiang Rai, and then we um, got off the van and we found ourselves being placed in long-tail boats. And we were in these long-tail boats, and we went up this river for some time, for a couple of hours, it seemed, and we were in the middle of nowhere. And it was in the days before everyone really carried cell phones, and I thought to myself, if they let me out at the river here, I will never be able to find my way home to Fort Worth, Texas. But we went up the river, and then we, we got off it to this Karen village. These are hill tribe villagers who live in the region between Thailand and Burma. Some of them um, go back and forth between the countries, and some of the Karen in Burma have actually been those who have been um, part of the insurrection against the military dictatorship there. We went to this village, and then we, we were to get on to elephants, and we were to go through um, this remote part of Thailand. It's like a rainforest, a jungle. And so everybody was on an elephant. There were some, there were, there were two people and some elephants, but on my elephant, I was seated there along with a Karen villager. And we traveled for some time, and he knew no English, and I knew no Karen. And so the only way in with, with which we could communicate with each other was simply to nod at each other and to smile at each other and to point at things to each other, for which we did. And then after a period of time, I heard someone singing a familiar carol. I heard someone singing Silent Night in a language I did not understand. 
It was March, as I said, and I thought to myself, this is an unusual time to be singing Silent Night. I'm wondering if the Belgians celebrate Christmas at a different time of the year than we do. I knew that not to be the case. And then it dawned on me that this was not a Belgian singing Silent Night, but this was one of the Corinne villagers who was traveling with us. My friend Randy, calling from Four Elephants Back, said to me, yelled to me, Mike, it's not Christmas. Why are you singing Silent Night? And I said, I'm not. It's one of the Corinne villagers. And as, the, as I said that, the Corinne villager who was seated on the elephant with me began to sing a familiar tune again. It was the tune of We've a Story to Tell to the Nations. And I listened to it. And somehow I realized that I was in the midst of a group of people who had an understanding. And after he finished, I said a simple question with a simple word. Christian? And he pulled out from underneath his shirt a cross that he was wearing around his neck. We were in the most remote place I had ever been in my life. I didn't know how to say this because I spoke no Korean and little Thai. But one word I knew in the Thai language was the word pra, which meant a holy man in the Buddhist religion or something of that nature of a priest. And so I simply said, Christian pra and pointed to myself, to which he was delighted because he understood what I was saying. I wasn't saying that I was holy, but I wanted him to know who I was and what my vocation was. And immediately he yelled to everyone who was there, Christian pra, Christian pra. He got off the elephant, everyone else did, and they came and shook my hand and they smiled and they joyfully greeted me. And we had this animated conversation in two languages in which we did not understand each other, which was a mystery to each of, each of us, but which we knew that somehow we understood some kernel of truth exchange between us. And then as we traveled on the elephants, I began to ask myself questions. How did they know? How did they understand the Word of God? How did this truth come? What seed of faith had been planted in their midst? God is a mystery. And sometimes the pain is so intense for some of us that we are unable to hear. And sometimes the pain is so intense that it is the only voice we can hear. I'm reminded of my good friend who died a couple of years ago, who I knew only a year and a half, who had received a significant diagnosis, a very, very troubling diagnosis. It was devastating to him. He had met me two or three days earlier simply by being in our church on a, sun, on a, on a weekday evening at a at an open house for vacation Bible school in which he had come with his granddaughters who were simply brought by their parents who had never been in our church before, and he had to talk and to speak. How it is sometimes when the pain is so intense is the time in which we are able 
to finally hear us. Who knows why? Who knows how? It's a mystery. The text also says something else to us, and sometimes is that God comes to us with a challenge. Every plant in our yard has a unique challenge. Some are in the sun, some are in the shade. Some are on the same watering station of the irrigation system, and some of those plants are in the shade, and some of them are in the sun. It's a very difficult way in which to keep everything that is new and alive. We know that some require more water than others. Some get too little. The challenges to growth for the plants in our yard have been challenging. In fact, on numerous occasions over the last 12 days in which we've been in New England, our neighbors have called those who have been drafted by my wife, Joan, to look after our yard, to report that all is well. But that is the way it is in the world, too, is that we're often challenged by concerns. We're challenged by the concerns of the world and the concerns of justice. We're challenged by what is happening in the environment. We're challenged by a world that in which too many people go hungry each night. We're challenged by those people who live in our world who suffer from the diseases of poverty that could be eradicated. We are challenged in this world by the issues of peace and war and justice that go on too long. And we are challenged by those concerns of justice by a God who wishes and desires for partnership from each one of us. That these worldly concerns can be the challenges that our God offers to us about what is it that we will do? How will we see the gospel, the good news of this Christ as a partnership with our God? How it is it is that this God who is the giver of life expects something from those who receive from God? So this is a calling. How are we responding to the challenges that God continues to issue on behalf of the world? Are we so hardened by life that we are unable then to hear? Are we so distracted? Are we so opposed to what it is that may be saying? Is it the sense that somehow the gospel has power only if it makes us happy? Which seems to be the American appeal to religion at this time, the kind of self-centeredness about our own well-being and our own happiness that may ignore a larger world than just ourselves. If it um, stops being fun for some, then the gospel loses appeal and we're out of here. But we must resist the idea that somehow that new ideas and new challenges really are anathema. Because this is a God who seeks at times to challenge us and make us uncomfortable this is a God who wants to make us a people who will respond to his challenge and to his invitation of discipleship. This is a challenge of our God who says to God's people, you do not know all that you need to know. And it is God's very challenge that then changes us because that's what growth is about. 
Growth is about change, and we do not like change. And just as Jesus welcomed the stranger as a way for people to hear something new, and just as Jesus communicated and embraced the tax collector as a way of to teach the upstanding religious leaders of the day, and just as Jesus embraced a sinner as a way of something to teach the good churchgoers of his day, and just as Jesus embraced an outsider to teach the insider, so it is that Jesus seeks to challenge us. And lastly, this. This parable comes with a promise. And the promise is this, is that something will flower. And God will be able to create something new. No matter what it is that you and I may or may not do, one of the things of which we can be assured is that God plans for a wonderful, bountiful growth with no conditions. And the response of the coming of God and the reign of God is this, is that we receive it with great joy. Because the coming of the reign of God for the Christian is that the very parable in which Jesus may tell, that Jesus himself, the Christ, is the parable and is the way that leads to an understanding of life. It is a life that seeks a way forward, that no matter the obstacles and no matter how it is that we may feel, no matter what it is that we may experience, no matter the rain or the lack thereof, no matter the weeds, no matter the ground or the soil, along this way, the parable of the Christ himself comes to us in surprising and in opening and loving ways to share with us that each one of us has been made new. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. I would invite you to come to the altar rail, to stand, to raise your hands, to pray in the ways in which you are most moved to support the prayers of this congregation. Come. Iona community in Scotland helps us to share, shape our prayers this day, and we give thanks to our brothers and sisters in Iona for their gifts of liturgy this morning. Dearly beloved, let us pray together. 
Gracious one, we give you thanks for this time with you and with one another, when together we may raise the deepest thoughts of our hearts. And so we lift up someone whom we have met or remembered today and for whom we want to pray. And as I say, Lord, in your mercy, please respond, hear our prayer. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We lift up someone who is hurting today and would appreciate our prayer and support. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We lift up a troubled situation in our world today. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We lift up a threatened part of the wider creation. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Silently, we lift up someone whom we find it hard to forgive or to trust. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. With joy and thanksgiving, we lift up the celebrations of our lives, those things which strengthen our hearts and give us courage. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We lift up ourselves that we might grow in generosity of spirit, clarity of mind, and warmth of affection. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We pray these things in the name of Christ and in the power of the Holy Spirit. And now, as our Lord has taught us, we are bold to say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.
We are pleased to invite those who can join us downstairs for a time of coffee hour and refreshment and continuation of this service in fellowship. I would also direct your attention to our bulletin, both physical and as it is online through our new and improved website at www.bu.edu forward slash chapel. We would also invite our further communication through our email address, which is chapel at bu.edu. Next Sunday, we continue our summer preaching series with the presence of the Reverend Randy Day. Reverend Day brings a rich experience in international work through his academic studies and through his tenure as general secretary of the General Board of Global Ministry of the United Methodist Church. And so we look forward to his time with us next week. An integral part of our worship service is the offering of our Marsh Choir of the collection of the Song of Songs, a motet collection by Palestrina. There are 29 of them, and they are based on texts from the Song of Solomon. And the choir, under the weekly alternate direction of Dr. Scott Allen Jarrett and Mr. Justin Blackwell, hope that you enjoy them. We are very pleased at Marsh to welcome Ms. Elizabeth Fomby as our office manager. Um, we are delighted to have her good services in the office, and she was also the reader of our epistle this morning. She is joined in the readings by David Romanick, chapel associate, and by Reverend Michael McKee, our guest preacher. Justin Blackwell is also our organist, David Ames is our sacristan, and I am Victoria Hart Gaskell, chapel associate at Marsh. And now, beloved, the ushers will wait upon us for our tithes, our gifts, and our offerings.
give us every good and perfect thing. We offer back to you in love these our gifts of money, symbol of our time, life energy, resources, and commitment. May we who give them and re those who receive them be strengthened and encouraged in the life of faith, that we may go from this place in peace and confidence to continue your work of love and justice in the world. Amen. Our hymn is number 596. receive the benediction. Bear witness to the love of Christ in this world so that the stranger you meet may find in you a generous friend. The grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the love of our God, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and be with you now and always. Amen. Mm -hmm.